Hello fellow adventurers and welcome to the Nerd Lab, where we transform our gaming passion into incredible game designs and learn how to nerd like a boss. My name is Marvin and I'm an ambitious game designer on my quest to develop a cooperative fantasy card game. For this podcast, my vision is to take you with me on this exciting journey. Together, we will explore the secrets of different game mechanics and reach the next level as a game designer. Today, I am not alone in the Nerd Lab. Today, I will be talking to two fellow game designers um, who have been working for more than five years on their game. The game is called Din, and they are about to publish their game now. Um, I came across the game on, on Instagram because the card layout just was super appealing to me. It was, um, yeah, it was super clean and um, yeah, a very refreshing look uh, for me. Um, it was different to what I've seen um, in other um, Instagram images, for example. And um, it made me curious. So I digged a little bit deeper um, into the game and I was quite stunned to find out that the game is not only um, a trading card game, which is, as you know, already right up my alley, but it is also an alternative, uh, alternative reality game. And that means that every card is also part of a large-scale puzzle that, uh, yeah, that can be solved by, by the community and will reveal some kind of storyline. That sounds awesome, right? Does it? So, um, yeah, I wanted to learn more about it. So I reached out to, um, to the designers of the game and, um, yeah, I have them on the show today. So please welcome with me um, Gabriel Whitmore and Haley Chencha. So um, welcome to the show. Both of you, I'm very excited to have you um, on the show. Thanks so much for having us here today, Marvin. We're excited to be here. So, Gabe, why don't you start? Our listeners always uh, enjoy to learn a little bit more about um, the guests on the show. So how did your journey start um, as a game designer? How did you come um, yeah, to want to create your own game? Sure, that's a great question. Uh, so it really started about maybe six or seven years ago. I'm I'm very passionate about games. I love to play games in person. I just think that that, that tactile feel uh, that you have when you sit down with someone in the same room is something that you can't replicate, uh, especially now going forward where uh, video games are becoming ubiquitous across entertainment. Uh, every day, the, the physical interaction of a game becomes more valuable. Uh, so I started my game design process about uh, six or seven years ago now. Uh, I started with just a simple board game. And after that, I really wanted to take a bite out of something more uh, more adventurous. And that's when we started working on DIN. And uh, we're just now getting to the point uh, where we're about to publish it. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. And um, Haley, tell us a little bit about, about you and yeah, where did uh, your interest for, for board games and game design come from? Absolutely. So, um, I am the marketing leg of, of DIN and I got involved in, in this, this company with, with Gabe. I've known Gabe for gosh, four years now. And, um, I've heard about him working on this, this incredible product and they, they have done just such a great job with all three aspects of these, you know, you have the, the trading card aspect and the the alternate reality as aspect and then the puzzle aspect as well. And, and so um, I, I kind of offered up my services to market it because, you know, you with, with game design and, and games in general, 
when you have a great product, you have to be able to tell the story of the great product and get the word out there. And they have this great product. And I am just so thrilled to be able to transmit that to the world and to um, show people like like you, Marvin, on Instagram and and across the world about how amazing this game is. And I know how much work has gone into it and how much work continues to go into it to um, develop the superior product. And we're so excited to be able to share that with the world because it's as someone who's not a huge gamer, although I was voted most likely to be first in line for Halo 3000 in high school. Um, but as someone who's not, you know, a huge gamer, I know that this game is amazing and I'm so excited to share the story and to share the incredible, um, talent of our designers to the world. So that's why I'm here. And I just, um, I love it. It's an honor. So. Yeah, that's absolutely awesome. Haley, to have you on board as well. So let me share a bit of insight here. So uh, a few weeks ago, I have started to do a bit of research, what game designers are struggling with. And there are two main aspects or main points that they really struggle with at the moment. The first one, the first one is um, finding playtesters. For a lot of game designers, it had, has be, become more difficult to find playtesters during COVID-19, while a lot of uh, local playtesting groups were no, not longer uh, meeting regularly. Um, and the second point, which um, I think is very important for um, where you come in, is that they struggle to get the attention for their game. Because we know there are a lot of games out there, new games are released all the all the time. And I think um, having um, someone leading the marketing um, of a of a game that is about to be published uh, can be a huge benefit. And um, it's actually, to be honest, um, one of the first times that I really really hear that um, and someone um, is on board that early, um, helping the game designer to yeah to bring that game to the attention that it deserves. So I'm really curious to to learn more about um, about that process um, later on the podcast. But Maybe before we, we start to talk about the, the marketing of the product, um, let's start talking a little bit about um, yeah, what the game actually actually is about. So, um, Gabe, could you give us a, a brief introduction in, into DIN? How does the game work? What are, what are the rules? Um, give us a short overview. Sure. Uh, so I think DIN really requires an introductory overview before you can really understand the rules of the game. Uh, which is another component of why it's so important to have someone on board of a project like this, like Haley. Uh, your game's not very valuable if no one knows how to play it or no one knows it exists. It doesn't matter how good you build it. So uh, Din is a trading card game where every card is part of a large-scale puzzle uh, that guides an interactive, community-driven storyline. And so what that means in a practical sense is that Din is a lot of things all at once, which made its own unique design challenge as we went forward. Uh, but essentially it's a casual trading card game with action and bluffing oriented gameplay. Uh, it's a series of puzzles ranging from easy to quite difficult. And finally, it's a community driven story experience told through audio, video, blog posts, documents, and websites. Uh, the gameplay is from the very beginning, uh, we wanted to make something that was energetic, that was different, uh, that played with the nostalgia of people who played trading card games when they were younger, like me. Uh, but created a, a fresh experience for people that were excited to try something different. Uh, so we took the normal trading card game 
what I consider the the bar of entry uh, of just an action orientated uh, to a one versus one gameplay experience, and we changed it to be uh, to be more approachable. So it's closer to when people ask me how to play Din, I, I like to say that it's it's a lot closer to poker than it is to uh, other contemporary trading card games. Okay, that sounds interesting, and I really want to know a little bit more about it. So how how do you how do you play? Let's talk about the trading card game aspect of the game first, maybe, um, and let's try to dissect the game into its. Uh, Uh, different pieces step by step so how does the trading card game actually work do you buy booster packs and starter packs like it is done in, in magic for example and build your own deck that you then bring to to duel with a with an opponent <laughs> sure great question uh, so in din you you buy a starter deck or that's the easiest way to get started so you can buy one of the two starter decks we'll be releasing a launch uh, and then you can modify that starter deck to fit your play style Uh, we release bi-monthly chapter packs with between 10 and 20 cards. Those cards can be taken out of that pack and they can be inserted into whatever deck you're playing with at the time. Uh, jumping right into how you played Din, it was designed to be fast. It was designed to be energetic and it was designed for people who maybe had never played a trading card game before. Uh, so we really took it down to its base components. Uh, we know we wanted to keep a nostalgic element of uh, a kind of 1v1 battle battle game mechanic but then we really wanted to scrap that and start from the ground up for every other element of the game so two players uh play against each other they have a deck of 36 cards and they have three hearts every hero in the deck has between one and three hearts and whenever you play a hero you wager the amount of hearts that are on that card on that round and so uh if you play one of your better cards a three heart hero on turn one and you lose that round uh you'll lose the game And so we, we wanted a game that really incorporated a, a bluffing mechanic. And so when you play Din, you, uh, draw a car, you draw eight cards from your deck, you play a hero card face down, and then you reveal it simultaneously with your opponent. Uh, all hero cards in Din have a numerical number for a power level. And so uh, a really good one is eight, and let's say a, a poor one is two. And uh, so you'd reveal your hero card, and then you'd modify that hero card with two more reveals. You can play... Uh, two, two more cards every round. The next card you can play can be either an equipment card or an action card. Equipment cards increase the power of your hero and often have, have different abilities as well. And then action cards are cards that change the rules of the game as you play. And then uh, after that third reveal, you just calculate who has the higher hero power. And the losing hero uh, goes to the graveyard and so you clean up the board and whoever lost uh, takes however many hearts they wagered on their hero and puts them into the graveyard that sounds like a like a interesting clean design um can you give an example of how such an action card would would modify the rules of the game sure uh so equipment cards are pretty basic action cards really they really stretch the foundational design of the game uh, an action card that i i love a lot is a card that There's no hand limit in Din, uh, but you can play an action card to impose a hand limit for the rest of the game. Keeping in mind that in Din, you could very easily only play one to three rounds in a game. Uh, you're essentially giving up one of your nine cards to limit the hand size of your opponent and yourself. And so uh, there's no hand limit in Din. You play this action card for the rest of the game. There's a, uh, a six card hand limit and you have to discard down to six. 
and so a deck that's built around keeping very few cards in your hand can that card can swing the entire game in your favor because your opponent typically isn't prepared to manage their hand like that while playing din that sounds super super interesting you oftentimes i see that um action cards or any other cards um play with the with the existing existing rules and say for example your hand size limit is uh i don't know not existence or you can have as many cards as you want or so but it's an interesting idea to yeah to create a card that actually creates a new rule that that wasn't there before so that's an interesting take on it i like it yeah we really with a game like din it's so fast uh, it was designed to be fast just because initially it was a game that I wanted to be able to play with my adult friends in, in the limited spare time you have as an adult sometimes. And so the games were designed from the ground up to be very quick. So if you wanted to play two or three games and fill out a half hour, you're welcome to. But if you only had 10 to 15 minutes before heading out to work and you just really wanted to play something, uh, spend some time with, uh, with your spouse or spend some time with a friend that morning, you can just get that done and over with and have a good time while you do it. Uh, and so the entirety of Din is designed uh, with a bare minimum framework of rules. The cards are almost exclusively, you start with a, with a small set of rules and the cards build on those rules as you play the game. That's super interesting. I think that increases replayability because you have a, a slim and well-designed game, but you extend the rules with every playthrough because you have new and additional action cards that add new rules to the game. So I can imagine that the game plays very differently every round. Yeah, it really does. Uh, when we designed it, we didn't want a, for lack of a better word, a, a mana curve in the game. It was something we wanted to skip. We didn't want the game to start out slow and then ramp up in action as it went. Although that's a great mechanic. Uh, we just wanted a quick action-packed game right from the beginning. Uh, but because of the stacking rules of action cards, the better you are at the game, uh, the better you become at manipulating the rules in your favor. And so as, as people play, especially in playtesting, they would, they would opt to not play the cards that modified the game. They'd be more equipment focused. They'd think that, you know, we want to, we just want to increase our hero's power just to have the highest number so we can win each round. Uh, and that, that works for a certain, for a certain amount of time. But as you become more comfortable with each deck, the players that we play tested this with become more comfortable with modifying the rules of the game. And it creates this it almost creates its own type of difficulty curve where you have to continually manage uh, different abilities on the field and remember what last turn, what, what the, what abilities changed last turn. And it creates this, it creates this organic way to learn the game while passing on some of the more difficult cards, because there are just as valuable cards in your hand. And then once you're comfortable with the game, you can revisit those same cards when you're playing later. That sounds awesome. So one, one question does, do the action cards count only for, this round or for the entire rest of the game for the entire rest of the game usually oh, sometimes cool. sometimes they activate immediately there are action cards where you draw uh, a new hand of cards from your deck uh, there are action cards where uh, your opponent can only play certain cards for the rest of the round or even for the rest of the game uh, and so it's it's something where conceivably in din you could only play nine cards in the entire game and so when we design the cards every card has to has to be worth in our mind it has to be worth spending one ninth of your entire game on that's a that's an interesting perspective to look at the i think what we'll say the balancing of the cards or the power level of a card so to look from a perspective of how many cards you actually play and decide what kind of weight you want to put on every card so that 
That's that's awesome. You you mentioned that one of your really primary design goals were to to create a quick game, a quick trading card game. So can you please elaborate a little bit about how that affected your design process? Did you, for example, have a lot of um, a lot of fancy ideas that you had to cut from the game because um, this simplicity was one of your main goals? Yeah, that's a great question. We did. Uh, early in the game process, uh, we had essentially what you consider a stall mechanic, uh, and we utilized it in a lot of cards. And it just ended up not being fun because the perspective, you know, when you sit down to play Din, it would be you wanted to play quickly and it wanted to be action orientated. Uh, but these stall mechanic cards and cards that uh, regenerated hearts in some instances, uh, they slowed the game down and not always in a good way. And so we've really tried to avoid any abilities in cards that seem to draw the game out for the sake of drawing the game out. And a lot of the original cards I designed focused on that sort of a mechanic. Uh, and so as the game evolved and as as we shifted design priorities to make it more and more approachable and as we cleaned up uh, the framework of the game itself, uh, absolutely, we had to throw away, I'd say only about half the cards I initially designed and I designed hundreds and hundreds actually made it to the end of the design process. Yeah, I'm experiencing something similar at the moment. And... Um... Yeah, we also designed a game that's a, yeah, I don't like the phrase, but it's kind of a filler game that you can play in between, I don't know, a session of D&D or I don't know, when you just have a half an hour in your in your lunch break or so. Yeah. And we also had this 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 problem that some cards just, yeah, were dragging the game um, and became, became longer what we, what wasn't really our design goal. But um On the other side, we also wanted to have some kind of comeback mechanics for um, for players that maybe lost the first round or so, or um, lost the first few life points. So, how did you handle handle that? Did you have some? Do you have some kind of uh, comeback mechanics or cards in your game that are not, um, let's say, heal life that you've lost, for example? You know, Din is interesting in that there's not really. There are some ways to regenerate hearts and din, and some cards do it well, but they're very costly. And you really have to weigh whether or not they're valuable to play, especially when you only have an active deck of 36 cards and you might only draw nine, uh, or you might only get to play nine. And so you, you have to, uh, as a player, you have to weigh the value of those cards. Uh, but from the design perspective, as far as comebacks go in din, din's unique in the sense that uh, you can lose the first two rounds of din and win on the third if your opponent if your opponent misreads your cards because you reveal your hero after setting it down, uh, there's a bigger bluff mechanic in Din than, than you'd expect when first reviewing the game. And so I've purposefully let players, people that have played against me uh, win the first round or so to see what they would do with the more aggressive stands just to trick them into a trap play. And that's something that comes straight out of our, one of our earlier design goals to make it like poker. It's a it's a game where there's not a lot of comebacks, but you can't ever let your guard down. Yeah, probably when I think about it, I mean, I did not play the game yet, um, but probably you do not really need a comeback mechanic for your game because you um, you reset the the board after each round. Do you? Yes. Yep. So the heroes are not persistent, I would say. So it's not like you are building a big board presence. Um, 
that the opponent has to come back from to win the game. So um, every round is something, to, at least to most of the degrees, is new, is a new chance to deal, I don't know, three damage if the opponent plays that kind of hero. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, it's a it's a game where you have almost complete control over when you'll lose. And very, very rarely is it something where you feel well playing Din, at least in my experience and a lot of our playtesters' experience. Din's interesting in that you don't ever feel trapped. I, I did want to avoid that mechanic. A lot of traditional trading card games uh, have entire mechanics around forcing your opponent into situations. Uh, we, we really wanted to avoid that sort of negative gameplay experience because although it's fun for the person who's executing that sort of strategy, very rarely is it fun for the person who is on the receiving end of that sort of strategic play. And so we really wanted to refine that process. So you're right, wiping the board once a turn essentially allows you to start fresh each each round. And uh, it, it makes it so that the game itself does never feel like a slog. Yeah, that's actually a very interesting and intelligent design choice. I like it. So why don't we switch a little bit to to the other angle of the game? So maybe you want to to t tell us a little bit about yeah how how did the idea come to to add this extra layer on top of the trading card game because yeah i mean trading card games uh, have been around for for quite a while and um what you are doing is um is uh, new and innovative of course but what really is uh, absolutely new what i've never heard before is uh, that combination with this alternative reality game and uh, yeah tell us a bit more where where this idea came from sure so din in its initial incarnations was just a, was just a casual trading card game it was designed just just for that purpose uh, but in the design process uh, i wanted to combine some of the other things i loved very quickly it became apparent that din could be a springboard for puzzles and i loved puzzles And I love telling stories as well. And a lot of the people we brought on board since then are these phenomenal writers and these phenomenal designers uh, that all have a story to tell. Uh, but in the initial design phase, uh, I wanted to combine Din with puzzles because I loved puzzles. And there were some concepts where the game was merged with puzzles in different ways. But it eventually became this, it became this process where we just wanted a puzzle in every card so that there was something to, something to focus on other than the game itself the something that it's probably hard to explain in an audio format but one of the things that we focused very hard on was the art for the cards we we went out of our way we searched for months to find artists that matched the vision for the game and when we found them we selected a card shape format it's a tarot sized card uh, that would allow us to have just as much text as normal trading cards have, but keep it relegated to one third of the, of the card itself. And so two thirds of every DIN card are, is just art. And we wanted something, we wanted to showcase some sort of mechanic in that art. We wanted to step past just the art itself. So there was something worth staring at. Uh, and so as far as the inspiration goes, it was just because we loved puzzles. We loved puzzles and we wanted to put it in there. And then, Uh, obviously, there had been ARGs before. We're not the first company to ever utilize an ARG. Uh, Perplexity even used cards, but they didn't have a game that you could play with them. Uh, and so the ARG component just came right after. We, we had the puzzles, and then ARG was just the natural next step to make it even more engaging. For me, that sounds, on one hand, super interesting as a player. I want to experience that. Um, I, I just uh, imagine that every every card is... 
um, has this extra layer of uh, of interesting engagement that I can have with that card. So and that adds a lot of extra value to um, to the product if I want to buy it from my perspective. But that's only one side of the medal. The other side of the medal that um, that I'm thinking about is that it must be in, in incredible amount of effort to create all those all those puzzles and to to plan ahead and bring them to the um, to the card and you actually did even more you are also connecting them to digital content uh, don't you yes yeah no it is incredibly hard uh, just as perspective each din every card and din costs hundreds and hundreds of dollars to develop without even counting the Uh, without even counting the amount of effort go that goes into play testing and uh, evaluating the time that goes into that sort of process. Uh, we're fortunate in that the team that we have at the table for DIN is a team of content creators, uh, and game designers, but content creators, professional at that. Uh, I am a website developer and a graphic designer. We have professional marketers. We have professional communications experts. Uh, We have people who've had experience in shipping and handling in R&D before. So before I, before I jump into the design process, I think it's important to say that the team that you have when you're approaching something like this is more important than the idea a thousand to one. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to even conceive of the concept if I knew, if I didn't have some of the skill sets I already have. But yes, the, from the design perspective, when we design a DIN card, uh, the first thing we think about Is we, we start from two different directions. We have the TCG element. We need that card to be balanced. We need it to be fair to play. We need it to be fun first and foremost. We're worried about all of those other elements afterwards. If it's not a fun card when you pull it out of a chapter pack or when you play it and it's only one of your nine cards, you're not going to be interested in DIN. It has to be fun. Uh, so we have the TCG element. We're always working on new cards that are fair, that are fun, that are interesting to play with. Uh, at the same time, concurrently, we have an overarching year-long story with hundreds of individual shifting points. And we have uh, individual riddles categorized by character in the game. And when we finish the design of a card, we then find the riddle that's appropriate with it. We combine those two elements, we commission the art, we specify what type of riddle needs to be in there. And then finally we create the multimedia reward for solving the puzzle and we place that in the overall story. I can only imagine how uh, how much work uh, that needs to be um, to create that such interesting and yeah incredible kind of uh, of yeah art. I mean, um, and you just mentioned before that you um, did I get that correctly? Biweekly um, or bi monthly uh, story packs? Yep, we have that's the structure of Din, which makes it sort of unique. Uh, our Our release schedule includes bi-monthly chapter packs. The, the first chapter pack has 10 cards, each with its own unique puzzle. As the community solves those puzzles, and in what order the community solves those puzzles, uh, those actions will dictate an additional 10 free bonus cards in the next pack, and then also what 10 puzzle cards we put in that next pack. All, all 20 will be playable, but only 10 will have additional puzzles that can uh, impact the next pack and move the story forward. Okay, that's a but that's also a super ambitious release plan, isn't it? I mean, um, that's a lot of lot of content that you have to produce. Yeah, fortunately, it's a lot of it can be done in advance, which is what we've done. Uh, we have hundreds and hundreds of cards designed, but we're only releasing them ten at a time, and so a lot of the cards have been pre-designed. Uh, we are already two months out, so we're already two months ahead of the game as far as con releasable content, which is a 
which is the bare minimum of where we're going to be. And by the time we get to launch, we expect to be already halfway through the season in deliverable content. And so even if there are humongous setbacks, we'll, we'll still be able to deliver season one on time. Uh, it is ambitious, but with the right planning, uh, we have project. We have the we have the great fortune of having professional project managers on the team, and having a professional project manager allows you to plan this sort of project out to the letter. Uh, we have months of storyboards already done. We have years. We we honestly have years of card releases already done, and it has the side effect of in a trading card game where it costs us upwards of three hundred plus dollars per card to design, and that's on the low end. You don't have to have $100,000 of starting equity. You can, you can start with just uh, $10,000 a story pack, and you can, move, you can move through those. And as you make money back per, starter, uh, per, per chapter pack, you, you're able to reallocate that funding back into the game as a business model. It, it actually helps a lot more than you'd think. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I mean, the business model um, is, is crystal clear here for me. And... Um, It is. It's a little bit like also like like a living card game because you um you get I think you get all of the cards if you if you buy one of those uh, story packs and not not only random cards of those 20 cards or how is it done? No, you're exactly right. Yeah, it's this game's closer to a living card game. We just didn't want to use that terminology because some of those cards wouldn't be available, and we didn't want to we didn't want to deceive anybody on what they were getting. Uh, you do get 10 set cards in each chapter pack. We decide what those cards are. Uh, nobody knows what they are before they're released. And then the bonus cards are completely reliant on whether or not the community solved uh, the puzzles in the last 10. And so if, if uh, there's a chance that uh, the community isn't able to solve one of our harder puzzles, which means they'll miss a story beat in the story construction, which we plan for, uh, and they'll also allow other characters to take the lead, But they'll also not receive that tenth bonus card in the next chapter pack. Oh, that's cool! Um, so that creates a lot of engagement for. So you will be able to create a lot of engaged, raving fans for this product. I'm pretty sure, because um, you added something on top of the typical um, strategy card games, uh, and that is for me uh, an interesting story aspect as well. Because uh, you can influence the story, if I understood it correctly, and you will reveal more and more of it um, in a in a frequent time frame, and um, or in a regular time frame. And that's something that I yeah I always had the feeling that the story part was never really explored in trading card games, or it never, they never, never no one ever found a, a good way of combining those. Um, those two aspects and um, yeah i really like i like your approach and i'm yeah curious to see how it works out <laughs> thank you yeah we are too um so so one more one more question um what you said that the design process um it took around about five years so um what was most of the time spent for was it more for the creating the trading card game and the cards and do all the play testing or was it more on the on the puzzle and riddle part? Oh, sure. Great question. Uh, the bulk of the first half of our development period, so maybe the first two and a half years, was really focused on the card game. The amount of design drafts we went through just on the card frame itself are immense. The hundreds and hundreds of variations, hundreds of icons. Uh, what we wanted to do with the design of the card game was make it as 
as simple as possible to look at so that it would communicate how simple it was to play. And whenever the, whenever the card art or card frame became simpler than the game, we simplified the game. And whenever the game became more simple than the card frame, we'd simplify the card frame. It was such an, an iterative process. It was, a, it changed all the time. That's, that's what we spent the lion's share of, of our development process on. And we're glad we did because what we came up with is this incredibly, it's incredibly different. It feels very fresh. It doesn't feel like any trading card game you've ever played, at least for me and a lot of our test subjects. Uh, but it's also this, you feel right at home after playing it a few times, like very quickly people get, uh, people get used to it. And I think, I, I think we can, we can very easily say that it was because of our immense play testing time that, that the game came out this polished. It would not have, it would have not have uh, been this polished if we had skipped ahead or tried to jump ahead to designing story before the TCG element was done. Can you tell us a little bit about that intense play testing that you just mentioned? So How long was your playtesting time? How often did you did you playtest the game, and did you do it with some kind of yeah focus group or uh, with a lot of uh, different different people? Sure. Uh, so initially, it was most ironically it was just my wife and I. Uh, my wife had never played a trading card game before in her life. <laughs> uh, we played. Uh, we wanted something to play together. We couldn't find a two player game except for trading card games, and she had a hard time with a lot of the ones we did try and play. Uh, and so I just decided I'd made a board game before and I was like, oh, we can, I'll just make one and we can play it. Uh, so for a long time, it was just my wife and I, uh, maybe the first couple months. And then after that, it, it just, it was so good. And it, and it became something that I was interested in finishing, uh, that I brought in another partner, uh, a friend of mine. And then, uh, he brought in all of his friends and we started obviously in a pre COVID world, it was a lot easier. We started just having meetings with all these friends and it was, it, these were essentially parties filled with people with a variety of backgrounds, people who don't play board games at all to people who play every single day, uh, people who couldn't pick a, a Magic the Gathering card out of a pack of poker cards to somebody who has only ever spent money on Magic cards. We had, we had this incredible diverse group of players and oftentimes because we had this big network of friends uh, and friends of friends, we, we were able to play test with new people every week for hours and hours and hours. It would give me the time to go back to my computer and make all sorts of suggested changes, bring it back to a completely fresh group and see how it performed with a fresh group. And then also uh, regression tested against the previous group the next time we saw them. And so I'd say hundreds of people have had a chance to uh, play DIN over the years, although some of them probably wouldn't even recognize what it looks like now. Yeah, that's... Uh... That's quite usual that the game changes a lot uh, during that time. I, I know that. So let's say at this point in time, you have a, you're pretty confident that you have a, a very good trading card game. You did a lot of playtesting. Your playtesters liked it. And you have this unique idea of um, the layer that you want to add on top of it that will create something, yeah, will create them. Yeah, engaged, engaged fans, but yeah, you still you still need the fans first. You need you need to get the message out there. So um, that's I think um, the time where where Haley came to the team, and um, I would like to learn a little bit more how how does your does your job look like, Haley? What what is what is it that you are doing? What is what are your goals with uh, um, as a marketing lead for this game? Absolutely. So. Um... And it, you know, marketing, it's, it's such a, 
fickle thing, Marvin. Um, it's always changing, you know, even the the landscape of landscape of marketing even five years ago was so different. And social media has has turned into such a huge component of any, you know, startup business company um, product promotion, anything at all. So it's it's really a, a three-legged approach. And so you have the social media aspect, you have your website aspect where people can can find the information. And um, we're just very fortunate to have our um, our CEO, who is also a, a web designer. So we have a really great website, if I do say so myself. But um, and then you have your your newsletter, which you know. And I've I've had a lot of conversations with um, game designers around the world, and I you know I ask them in in this role, we'd love to sign up for your newsletter and they don't have that. And they say, well, we don't have that. We just have our, our Instagram. And I think that that is, it's one of the, the most pivotal things for your company is having a robust news, um, newsletter subscription, um, service. So my role, it's, it's started with just engaging that audience on social media, you know, through Facebook, through Instagram and and through through Twitter. And you kind of have to identify where your target market is. Now, DIN in itself, it's a bit different because we have three different market segments that we are attracting, which um, we are the only game um, on the market that has that really unique aspect to it and three different target markets. Um, you have the, the TCG, the ARG, and then the, the puzzle and the community driven storyline, which is just really, really interesting. And so, um, for us specifically, our target market is, is largely based on Instagram. And so that's where I've been focusing a lot of my time and efforts. But with that, uh, you know, you can you can tell the story all day. But if you can't drive people to sign up for your newsletter, that's where the the faltering happens. Because um, once you get people to sign up for those newsletters, and that's you know that's the name of the game for all companies. You know, you you go to any company and nowadays it's you're always getting a newsletter from someone and that's just to to really reinforce and to remind people about um you know news that's happening with your game to remind them to buy your product um and to just keep them interested and so you know a newsletter and and social media works hand in hand that way but that's the the main part of my job is really engaging with people on social media, getting to tell the story about that, and then driving them to sign up for our newsletter what, to keep them updated on everything that's happening with DIN because it's it's a whole heck of a lot now and it and it will only continue to grow from here. So it's it's been really cool to get to engage with the community. Yeah, thank you. That's an that's an awesome answer and I have so many follow-up questions for you. <laughs> so yeah. um, maybe let's start with one for the um for the newsletter because uh, i know that many game designers they they of course have read that it is important for example to have i don't know an audience of 
I just throw a number out there. 1,000 people signed up for your newsletter before you start a Kickstarter campaign, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and they read information like that and they, yeah, they want to start uh, their, their own newsletter list. Um, but they have no clue how to do it. And um, uh, for someone that's, uh, that's, uh, who's having a newsletter list um, himself, um, I, I also struggle sometimes um, with yeah, finding the right two things, finding the right hook to get people to sign up for the newsletter and delivering content um, via the newsletter that is yeah, engaging and helpful for the, um, for the community. So maybe you can give us some, some tips of um, how to create a, a good hook and creating engaging content via a newsletter. Absolutely, Mervyn. And, and um, we all know content is king. Um, that's, that's what we've all learned from day one. You have to have such um, just engaging and informational content. And you do such a great job with that with, with your podcast. So um, this, this would be, a, you know, any, any of your content, it's called you splinter your content. And that's, that's just a really big thing that you can do. So, you know, what you can do is you you don't want to be sending out a newsletter every day, obviously. I mean, people will, it's a really fine balance of sending out enough content or sending out too much content to where people will unsubscribe. So you want to be in their heads without being annoying. You know, we all have those newsletters that um, you get it every single day and you're like, my gosh, why am I signed up for this? It's just clogging up my inbox and I, I hate it. And so you unsubscribe. That's, that's not where you want to go with your, your gaming newsletters. And so you want to be able to strike that really fine balance of being able to provide content and to get people to remember you without be going over the top. So I would suggest, um, and I've been, I've worked in a couple different marketing capacities. The sweet spot is really, um, once every two weeks to once a month is, um, anymore. And it kind of depends on your, your marketing strategy, but, um, that's kind of the sweet spot that I've known. Now I want to go back into splintering content. And, um, a big thing that I do with, with newsletters and especially in the, the gaming community is, you know, on Instagram, you provide and social media in general, you provide daily content. That's just how you you keep the audience's attention. Um, you know, social media is not the same as newsletters and they, they always come back for more. And so in splintering content, you already have created this that you have disseminated to your audience. And when you, you write a newsletter, you really want to take the content that you've already written and put it into the newsletter format, but you want to be really specific and careful as to what you are putting in there and only pick the most important things that you think will benefit and add value for your readers and your audience. So, um, you know, we just launched a newsletter a few days ago and, um, it announced our pre-order and our season one, um, announcement of what our season one is the disappearance of Natalie Neal within DIN. And that's that alternate reality thing. Um, I had already written that content for Instagram, but, um, a way that you get people, and this is a whole conversation, um, for another time, but 
we released that content and splintered that content into our newsletter. And the people that had actually subscribed to our newsletter received that information first before our Instagram followers did. So it's, it's just using content that you have already written and splintering it off and putting it into your newsletter to where it will add value to your readers and also adding that extra value for the people that have signed up for your newsletter. They get it before anyone else and they have that VIP access to um, the information that you're providing. And so um, that that is what drives um, people to want to know first before anyone else. And so that's kind of how we grow our newsletter, how we write content and splinter content off for our newsletters and um, how to keep people engaged without going over the top. I'm sure that was a lot for you, Marvin. So <laughs> I'll talk about it all day. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested in that topic. So I could uh, probably talk with you all day as well. Um, but in the meantime, I look at my at my um, at my screen because I um, have your website open while we were, we are talking and you have now successfully one subscriber more on your email list because ah. I just subscribed in the meantime well, thank you Marvin <laughs> that's great so um, but you also mentioned um, that you have different target audiences and yeah describing a target audience um, is also a big part of a marketing plan and I'm Your game is different than, than many other games. So you mentioned that already that your target audience is not only the typical trading card gamers and it's not only the typical puzzle interested players. It's just a mix of them. So my question is really, is it your target audience? Is it, do you see it as some form of um, an intersection of those two or even three target groups? Or do you see it more as a, as a combination of both so do you target the, the them directly or do you really try to target that intersection that uh, are interested in all of those um that parts of your game you know um for me as from a marketing standpoint and i'll let gabe kind of talk about um how he sees it as well but i think there's a lot of value to um doing a combination and not trying to find that that middle for everyone because um You know, for me personally, I am not interested in the puzzles, but I am very interested in the trading card aspect of the game. And we have friends that are only interested in the card artwork and the storyline, and they're not interested in the trading card aspect of the game. And so it's, you know, when you have the opportunity to appeal to three times the numbers of a potential audience instead of just one um, I think you absolutely capitalize on that. And so from a marketing standpoint, you just want to be sure you have a really robust um, promotion of all three of those um, aspects of the game of DIN. So on our social media, we have, and I have a content calendar that's scheduled out through our November launch, but I have talked, I've gone really in depth about the trading card aspect. I've gone, um, I've started to get in depth about the, the storyline with our season one launch and, and introducing the characters and the storyline. And, and so that appeals to an audience line. And then you provide content on the, the puzzle. So it's just a really great balance of all three of those different things. And Gabe, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. No, Lily, you're exactly right. I think that, you know, we, we've spoken, I've spoken with Haley about marketing ad nauseum at this point in time, uh, 
with a game with three distinct elements that are that have their own distinct audiences, people who care about story-driven games, people who care about puzzles, people who play trading card games, those trading card gamers you mentioned, Marvin, you have this great opportunity to kind of cast a wide net, which you don't have in a lot of other with a lot of other games, right? If you're building a, a game with only a small audience, you need to really target that small audience and you need to do it as well as you can, or you're going to miss out on potential customers. With a game like this, Haley mentioned it briefly. We've had friends that have signed up to buy this game just for the art. We've had strangers who've signed up to buy this game just for the art. They've messaged us and said, I don't play trading card games. I hate puzzles, but the the arts, the art's gorgeous. Let's buy it. Yeah, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And so it's, you know, having Haley on board, having somebody with that background uh, allowed us to really, allowed us to focus on uh, these wide net uh, audience segments and it's been it's been great yeah so let's talk a little bit about the the product launch that you just mentioned that was going to happen in um, in fall sometime um what what are your plans for that are you are you uh, releasing the game on kickstarter or what are your plans our plans are pretty straightforward we're going to be releasing our product direct to consumers and so uh At this point in time, we have two starter decks completely finished. We have the first couple chapter packs fleshed out, completely done. We're ordering product uh, this week, actually, so we're going to have them. We're going to have them on hand months in advance. Uh, we'll be releasing those two starter decks and the first chapter pack, and then you're welcome to subscribe to those chapter packs so you get them every two months automatically. Uh, so they're direct to consumer. You can buy them on our website. So cool! You have some kind of subscription model for the for the bi monthly um, packs. Yeah, we're going to be launching cool. with a subscription model just so you can subscribe. So you don't, if you don't uh, want to have to worry about going to our website every time to buy the new chapter pack, you can subscribe and you can just, it'll just show up in the mail and it'll be a, a fun little surprise. That sounds super interesting. So why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you, um, your website and where they can order that? Sure. So uh, you guys can find us at dincards.com uh, and you can, uh, Coming up here in November, you're, you will have our products all on that website. And of course, you you know, Haley's posting daily on Instagram and other social networks. Uh, and uh, please uh, feel free to subscribe to our mailing list. Yes. And all of our um, media, it's it's all consistent and really easy for you to remember. DIN cards um, all across the board, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our website. And um, yeah, all of it. So we'd love to have you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for, for this very interesting interview. I learned a lot and um, I'm, I'm really curious how this, uh, how this game works out because it is very, very different to, um, to most of the games that I have seen. Um, and not only, not only the, um, the game itself is different, but also your entire approach is very different because there's a, a huge team behind it. There is, um, a very well-structured plan behind it. And I have seen many game designers that do not have that, um, that plan. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how, how all of this works out. And I hope we can, we can talk again in, in half a year or so and uh, talk about your great success. <laughs> thank you so much. We're excited to talk about that too. Yes, thank you so much, Marvin. We're, we love chatting with you. It's been an honor and we, we can't wait to catch back up in a few months. So thank you. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thank you, um, Haley. Thank you, Gabe, for, for being part of this, of this episode. And um, I wish you all the best for, um, for your launch. Thanks, Thanks so much. much.